Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Julia, Amanda's on holiday, good for her, and this is episode 245, Dreams. I am really, really excited. I've been thinking a lot about my dreams lately, and I think that you guys are going to have a dreamlike experience listening to this episode. Is that self-congratulatory? Maybe a little bit. I don't really mind. But I am going to congratulate the people who joined our Patreon this week. Alexandra, The Stubby Tech, and Richard. You guys help us make this podcast our jobs and let us keep making what is going to soon be 250 episodes. Wild. Absolutely wild. And they join the ranks of our supporting producer level patrons. Alicia, Allison, Brian, Deborah, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Stewart, Justin, Keegan, Neaslikins, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Captain Jonathan Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, as well as our legend-level patrons, the patrons of our dreams, Audra, Clara, Drew, J. Bay, Key, Lada, Lexus, Morgan, Morgan H., Mother of Vikings, Necro Royalty, and BME Up Scotty. Now, this is the part usually where Amanda will ask me, hey, Julia, what are you watching, listening to, reading lately? And I have been absolutely just vibing so hard with my library app on my phone. And I blew through this incredible book called This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Mutar and Max Gladstone. And oh my God, if you like time travel, if you like letters between lovers, if you like just slow burn romance where the people People aren't in the same room, but somehow they're still falling in love. This is the book for you. It's extremely fun. It's very, very good. You know what else is also extremely good and very, very fun? Taking surveys. I know for some people that might not be the case, but for me, I love giving feedback. And it's the perfect time for you to give feedback because it is Multitude Survey Summer. You can go to multitude.production survey to help us learn more about you and decide what's next for the collective and for spirits. The survey takes about 15 minutes. It features a lot of emojis and it ends with a cute photo of everyone here at multitude and I just think it's adorable. What more incentive do you possibly need? We have one of the best communities in all of podcasting, so please help us make sure that we are making stuff that you love. Go to multitude.productions survey today. Take that survey. We would super appreciate it. And that's it for me. Please enjoy episode 245, Dreams. So Amanda, recently I was in the car with my husband and we were listening to a podcast, which was covering a dream episode of a certain TV show. It was The Sopranos. Please don't judge me. <laughs> and one of the hosts was talking about dream interpretation, which of course kind of naturally led to a conversation between Jake and I about dreams and like what kind of dreams that you have and dream interpretation as a whole. So I know that like kind of talking about your dreams is considered a conversation faux pas. Like I know a lot of times people say that hearing other people's dreams are boring as hell, but I actually really like hearing about people's dreams. And Amanda, I know you're not really like a remember your dream kind of person, right? That's correct. Very occasionally. It happened to me this morning. In fact, I looked up and I was like, oh, did I in fact stain my favorite bag last night by dropping it in a rain puddle? And then I realized, no, that's just the kind of fucking dreams I have. So you have uh, pretty mundane dreams from what you could remember? Yes, and mostly I do not remember them. But what I do know is that since childhood, Julia, I've loved hearing about your dreams because they are fucking buck wild and I love them. I am a really 
vivid dreamer. And I tend to remember a lot of my dreams, at least for the first like couple of hours after waking up. I made it a habit during the pandemic, which I've since fallen off of, that I would like write down the really interesting ones just to see. And so it's like, I remember one specifically where I'm walking through one of those like really big aquariums. And it's one of those ones where it's like the tunnel and the whole aquarium tank kind of surrounds you. And I keep like seeing some sort of aquatic animal following me in like the corner of my eye. And it was very creepy. But I remember that one. Incredible. But this kind of conversation and the fact that I have always been really interested in my own dreams, which is kind of sounds very narcissistic when I say it out loud. This kind of led me to thinking about like, what is it about dreams? Like, why have we as people always been so interested about them? And how do dreams kind of influence mythology as well as psychology and vice versa? So I think this week I would like to dive into the dreamscape and see what we can find out. I can't wait. Let's do it. So to start with, let's kind of ask what we have to assume is not a hard question, but is actually much more complicated when you start to really dig into it, which is scientifically, why do we dream? I have no fucking idea. We, at the very least, have strong theories about how we dream. So as people might know, we have various phases of sleep. Five is the usual agreed upon amount of phases of sleep. And the fifth stage of sleep is when we dream. So this is REM sleep. So that stands for rapid eye movement. Which, terrifying. Yeah, no, it's it's very scary. I was reading the like symptoms of the different phases of sleep and like, Four out of the five of them had very scary, like, kind of, it's like, <laughs> yes, your your body is uh, paralyzed and you cannot move during this phase of sleep. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I hate that. The fact of sleep and the fact of dreaming is just a biological miracle in my mind. And I love how sometimes I'll get, like, very deep into a Scientific American article about something about the brain and just be like, wow, this is piloting this whole ship here? I don't know what the fuck it is. And I love that. And, like, even neurologists and psychologists and stuff don't know what ton about the brain like we understand like certain things do certain things but i feel like we don't know a lot as to like why that thing is happening in the first place we just know kind of a cause and effect thing rather than a complete understanding as to what every function of the brain is for yeah i've heard people say that we know a lot more about space than we do about our own brains which if that's not a metaphor for humanity i really don't know what is it just reminds me of the idea of like a uh, internal cosmology and i love that yeah Oh, me too. REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, which is the fifth stage of sleep, it accounts for about 20 to 25% of your total sleep every night. And studies indicate that even if you don't remember your dreams, you probably experience at least three to six dreams per night, each of which lasts for about five to 20 minutes in real time, despite the fact that like in your mind, they can feel like they're lasting much, much longer. Hey, Julia. Hey, what's up? That's nuts. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's nuts. I love that. We're going to like borderline Inception, I feel like, a lot of this episode. (laughs) And I'm not going to blatantly talk about Inception because we are not a movie podcast and this is not a myth movie night. But yeah, dreams are buck wild. I know. Also, if you use the show to get yourself toward sleep or to fall asleep, I mean, maybe not this one. There's 200 some odd episodes you can enjoy, but but maybe not this one, guys. Yeah, re-listen to another one, I guess. Also, apparently, Amanda, 95% of dreams are forgotten by the time you get out of bed, which is wild. And that's for any average person. That's nuts. 
But the why we dream is much more complicated than the how we dream. And the how we dream is pretty complicated to begin with. So neurologists and psychologists have various theories. Some believe that it is simply a function of the brain that allows us to consolidate and process information that we gather during the day. Some believe that it's just like random signals being sent by both the brain and the body while we sleep. And others give more of what I would, I guess I call like a a philosophical value to dreams. So they believe that they represent unconscious desires or wishes, which I personally tend to disregard as a theory because I've had some fucked up dreams. And I know that's not my like unconscious desire or wish. I just know that that's probably just my brain processing uh, some grief or something like that. Yeah. The thing is, people have been trying to interpret what dreams have meant for an incredibly long time, though the field of dream interpretation as we know it now was more codified as a psychological study by Freud when he published his, quote, The Interpretation of Dreams, which most experts nowadays have debunked thoroughly. (laughs) Like most of Freud. Like most of Freud. He was just extremely high and trying to work out his own shit, I feel like, so... I once saw a play that like dramatized Freud's life and I'm like, that's even more fucked up than I thought it was, man. Yeah. I once held his pocket watch. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool thing from working at the Library of Congress manuscript division is just they had random objects like Freud's golden pocket watch. And you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. And Abigail Adams hair. (laughs) They did. They had that too. Even though we have kind of debunked Freud's interpretation of dreams, that hasn't stopped people from still attempting to interpret their dreams and seek deeper meaning in them. So I'm not going to speak too much on modern dream interpretation this episode, only because there are a variety of sources that you can look up online if you're particularly interested. And I find that a lot of them are contradictory to each other. So it would just get confusing to dive deep into that. Right. But I would love to talk about how various cultures in antiquity have thought about dreams and how they've interpreted them themselves. So we know that the Sumerians and the Mesopotamians as early as 3100 BCE were interpreting their dreams. Most dreams were seen as forms of divination. And as you can imagine, like the dreams of kings were taken very seriously. Oh, yeah. Of course, even the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, Gilgamesh's dreams are seen as these prophetic messages from the gods that required interpretation to discover their true meaning. So, for instance, Gilgamesh has a dream that would foretell the arrival of his rival-turned-friend-turned-lover Enkidu. In the dream, Gilgamesh watches as an axe falls from the sky and a crowd forms around it to, like, kind of admire and worship the axe. So Gilgamesh then approaches the axe, dislodges it from the ground, and then throws it down in front of his mother, who is the goddess Ninsun. According to the dream, quote, embraces it like a wife. Oh, I don't know what that means, but sure. Well. So Gilgamesh brings this dream to his mother and is like, Mom, I had this dream. It's really fucked up. What does it mean? (laughs) And so Ninsun believes that it heralds the arrival of someone powerful who Gilgamesh would struggle against but would eventually become friends with and that they would accomplish great things together. And would also have sex with. And then also from Ninsun, she claimed that because he, quote, embraced him like a wife, it means he will never forsake you. Like, okay. okay, Mom, sure, that's what that means. Yeah, they were just gal pals. Don't worry. Just gal pals. Just roommates. (laughs) Lately, I have been joking around with Jake. We'll be laying in bed together and he'll look at me. He'll be like, I really like you or like, I really love you. And I will look at him and be like, what? I just thought we were roommates. What are you talking about? (laughs) 
<laughs> he's like good. but there's only one bed i'm like i know it's a weird situation but I've, I've gotten used to it you're making things weird now listen one bed is a romance trope of a long and storied and and a noble tradition he doesn't know fan fiction though <laughs> <sighs> one day he can't be perfect julia then it would be like come on yeah no that'd be too much then he'd be too an 11 much. out of 10 and that'd just be unacceptable yeah so uh, many of our examples of dream interpretation are inherently linked to either the gods or to their religious presence here on Earth. So priests in ancient Egypt acted as dream interpreters with the importance of dreams being held in high regard and linked to messages from the gods. The Greeks, and this is actually the first time I had heard of this, the Greeks would construct these specific temples which housed the sick and they were kept there as like a way of treating them and to be cured. So like part of this treatment, of course, was tied to the gods because it's a temple. This idea of like divine grace being considered a way of treating disease and Specifically, they relied on the ritual of incubation, which is sleeping in a sacred area with the intention of experiencing a divinely inspired dream or cure, hmm. which I'd never heard of before. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, me too. It makes sense. We also know that the Greeks believed that dreams were prophetic or acted as omens. There was a particularly amusing belief from the philosopher Artemidorus, who lived in the second century AD and believed that dream imagery could be, in fact, puns and that by decoding those puns, you could reveal the true meaning of that dream. So, for example... Alexander the Great, who had been warring with the Tyrians, had a dream about a satyr that was dancing on his shield. And so Artemidorus believed that the satyr could be a pun for the phrase satyros, which means Tyre will be yours. And so believed that the dream predicted that Alexander would conquer the Tyrians. Incredible. Isn't that so good? It's also such a like servant to the ruler being like, no, no, you're going to win. No, no, you're right. And a prophet. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like no one who tells the ruler, no, that's bad and it's not going to happen for you. They probably don't last long in court, you know? Yeah. They don't last long as a philosopher. Or like politics or corporate culture. I mean, it's everything old is new again. Yeah. Precisely. In China, dream interpretation has been an important part of culture codified by at least the 16th century when the, quote, lofty principles of dream interpretation was compiled by Chen Xian. What I really love about the research that I've seen for the Chinese philosophers from this period is that they got really into like the philosophy of dream. What is a dream? What separates dreams from reality, etc.? Oh, yeah. For example, here is a Taoist thought experiment. Here's the quote. Once Chang Chao dreamed that he was a butterfly. He fluttered about happily, quite pleased with the state he was in and knew nothing about Chang Chao. Presently, he awoke and found that he was still very much Chang Chao again. Now, did Chao dream that he was a butterfly or was the butterfly now dreaming that he was Chao? Oh, man. It's very like, well, what is reality and what is our imagination, you know? Yeah. I really like this stuff, but also you get people who get into this in like a really annoying way and then get into the territory of like people who misunderstand the point of the matrix. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a real it's a real spectrum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like there's still a part of me that is the freshman philosophy student who would 
you know, have a couple of beers and be like, but what if this is all a dream? Or what if this is all a simulation, you know? You're not a destructive billionaire who's like, you know, making bad choices and turning Earth into his playground, Elon Musk, you know, in, in an effort to like chase these things down. So I think as long as you're just thinking and wondering about it and your friends know when to put a hand on your shoulder and be like, let's talk about movies, that's totally okay. Yeah, but the problem is all of those people probably were freshman philosophy students at one point. True. So let's uh, talk a little bit less about dream interpretation and a bit more about what dreams and the creatures associated with them looked like in mythology. But first, we're going to quickly go grab a refill. Let's do it. It is the height of summer right now, and that means I am wearing slightly less clothes, strappy things, you know, that kind of stuff. I love a good tank top. I love a good strapless dress. But that also means that I need bras that can support those kind of outfits. And you know what? Before I got to know Third Love, that was a really tough task. But now I have a strapless bra that actually stays on and that I love and is comfortable. And that's all thanks to Third Love. Third Love obsesses over each stitch. So you never have to think about how something feels or looks or wears. And Third Love always stays true to one notion that they do comfort and you do you. They also have a new seamless collection called Form. It's wireless bras and form-fitting undies with limitless stretch and endless comfort that disappears under your clothes. And what more can you ask for on a day where it's really hot and really humid and you don't want to be wearing clothes at all? You could put on underwear that feels like there's nothing there. That's great. And if you need support, Third Love's got the number one best-selling 24-7 classic t-shirt bra, which provides all the comfort and support that you need. You just have to take their fitting room quiz, which is like a personal shopper, but better. This interactive quiz focuses on the size, the breast shape, the current fit issues, and your personal style to deliver bras and underwear that are perfect for you. And it has helped over 18 million people find their true bra size, and you could be next. Also, something that I love about Third Love is that they are the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S. They partner with organizations in their local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States, and they have donated over $40 million in product to help people make powerful life changes and even heal injured turtles. That's cool. That's really cool. Thanks, Third Love. And Third Love knows that you deserve to feel comfortable and confident 24-7. So right now, they are offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Just go to thirdlove.com spirits right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com spirits for 20% off today. We are also sponsored this week by Skillshare. Listen, you're a human, and that means you were born to create. You were born to learn and express and discover what you can make, and you can do that with online classes from Skillshare. Listen, I'm trying to learn how to up my embroidery game. And part of that is learning how to draw better. And so I took a class this week called Teach Yourself How to Draw Anything with Hayden Aubie. And just the title itself kind of tells you everything that you need to know. I need to learn how to draw. I'm going to learn how to draw anything. And I really, really loved this class. With Skillshare short classes, you can move your creative journey forward like I did when I took that class. And you can explore your creativity at Skillshare.com spirits, where our listeners get one free month trial of premium membership. That's one free month at Skillshare.com spirits. Never stop learning with Skillshare. And finally, we are sponsored this week by Calm. Here's the bad news. The world is full of uncertainty, and that might 
leave you feeling a little bit stressed or anxious. But the good news is you can navigate change, feel more relaxed, and quiet your mind with Calm. Calm is the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools you need to improve the way you feel. You can clear your mind with guided meditations. You can improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, which I really love, especially when I'm working. And you can drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. You know how much Amanda loves that one story about the train. It's really, really nice. I've fallen asleep to it many, many times. And over 1 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds so you can sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. And for listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's Calm dot com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. So for this episode, I decided on a cocktail that is known as the poet's dream, because who loves talking about dreams if not poets? No one more. No one more. So it's very similar to another cocktail that I think we talked about a while back, which is called the golden dream. But it's similar to kind of a classic gin martini with a twist. So it's gin, vermouth, and then Benedictine liqueur with a couple of dashes of orange bitters. So it's a martini, but it's got that hint of herbal and citrusy pop which I really like. And you know that, you know, some monks worked on your liqueur, so that's great. That's true. And if you have a couple of them, you'll probably be falling asleep. So let's get going before that happens. <laughs> okay. So let's start again with Greece, because of course. So there are two gods worth noting when discussing dreams in the Greek pantheon. There's Hypnos, of course, who is the personification of sleep, who lives in the underworld in a cave that has a bunch of poppies at the entrance of that cave. He is married to Pasithea, who is the personification of both relaxation, hallucinations, and just altered states of consciousness. I mean, sounds fun. She sounds fun. She sounds like she'd be a good time to hang out with. Oh, yeah. One of Hypnos's children, according to Ovid, is Morpheus, who is the god associated with dreams. So according to Ovid, quote, no other is more skilled than he in representing the gait, the features, and the speech of men, the clothing also, and the accustomed words of each he represents. Because Morpheus was said to like appear and bring dreams at night. So if you see a person in your dream or an object in your dream or something like that, it's most likely Morpheus. That's fully terrifying. Yeah. And he can be, you know, whoever or whatever. A perfect shapeshifter that is godly is like terrifying. Yes. According to Ovid as well, Morpheus had two siblings that would sometimes enter the dreams with him. So there was Phobitor, or the Frightener, who, quote, takes the form of beast or bird or the long serpent. Yeah, quite quite a name, quite a, quite a description. And there was also uh, Phantasos, or Fantasy, who, quote, puts on deceptive shapes of earth, rocks, water, trees, all lifeless things. So these are your dream gods hmm. from Greece, and because it's also Ovid, Rome. The god impersonating lifeless things is a new-to-me twist. I love him. He's a real cool guy. So on to one of my favorites who we've talked about on the show before, but I think it wouldn't be an episode about dreams if we didn't talk about the Baku. The Baku, as you might remember, is a Japanese spirit who is said to devour dreams. He had the body of a bear, the head of an elephant, the eyes of a rhino, the tail of an ox, and the legs of a tiger. So cute. So stubby. Yes. Sounds like a, usually a terrifying amalgamation of creatures, but it's most likely that the appearance of the Baku is based on the real-life taper 
which are adorable. They got those little noses. They're so cute. So cute. So stubby. As I mentioned, the Baku acts as a guardian for humans and feeds on the dreams of humans, though they typically eat bad dreams. Children were told that they could evoke the name of the Baku in order to protect them from bad dreams. However, if one was to call on the Baku too often, the spirit would begin to eat not only the bad dreams, but also the dreams and desires of that person as well, leaving them forlorn and unmotivated. I mean, this is a perfect piece of folklore, Julia. It's inventive. It's fascinating. It's tied to the kind of material reality of daily life. And it has a a parable tied to it. And like, what a good thing to learn growing up that it's okay to call for help, but you can't do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's like the boy who cried wolf, but better. But good. But good. So somewhat opposite to the Baku back over in Europe is the mare. Now, the mare has origins in both Germanic and Slavic folklore, and its name seems to trace back to the Proto-Indo-European root of mer, which is something along the lines of to crush or oppress or oppress. Mostly, I'm impressed that Kate Winslet did that accent so well. But, um, <laughs> that's a joke about Mare of Town on HBO. Uh, okay. <laughs> Had to do it. Had to do it. My my mother-in-law really wants us to watch that. And I read the description. I'm like, this seems too sad. It was, it was fairly sad. Okay. Fairly good. sad. So now some of the stories about the mayor say that they would ride people's horses in the night so that the horses would be left exhausted and sweating by the morning. This evolved later into a kind of like incubus succubus thing, like, but without the sex in Swedish and Norwegian versions of the story uh, that said that they would sit on the chest of a sleeping man or animal and tangle their hair so that in the morning they would wake up with what they would call mare locks or mare braids, which is basically like when your hair gets really knotty after a restless night of sleep. Terrifying. I mean, in both cases, waking up with, with, you know, feeling like you've run or feeling like you're sweaty and your hair, it seems like way too tangled for just like sleeping is terrifying and waking up and like checking on your horse in the morning and seeing that one of them has apparently been running all night long and yet is in the stable is like what the fuck yeah luckily uh mare locks and mare braids not a problem for you anymore amanda since you cut your hair nice and short indeed indeed so the mare can't come get you and fuck up your hair. <laughs> or they will, and I won't know, which is kind of worse. Yeah. So by the 13th century, there were more definitive stories about the mare in Scandinavia, such as the fact that King Van Landi Svegosin, it was said that he lost his life to a mare that was sent to him by a Finnish sorceress as revenge for abandoning his Finnish wife. Oh, damn. So in the story, uh, the moment that he falls asleep, the king was ridden by the mare, which stopped stomped on his legs until they broke. And then when his guards came in and tried to help by kind of like grabbing his flailing feet, the mare moved up his body and then pressed down on his head until it killed him. Oh, shit. Yeah. In case it wasn't clear at this point, the mare gives us the English word for nightmare. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Which I think is uh, very cool. I love the origins (laughs) of words and the mythological origins of words. Me too. Several times a month, I'll text my sibling and dad group chat and just be like, guys, did you know that the word blank derives from blank? And to their credit, they all tell me they think it's cool. Etymology. Very exciting. Very cool. In Poland, the mare is referred as the Mara, which shares its name with the goddess of winter, who was later kind of demonized by Christianity. In that Polish version, it was said that the Mara was the soul of a sinful woman, typically, but not exclusively. That was like the general like, ah, yes, this person died 
having not gone to confession or something like that. Well, it's not pagan. It's fine. Well, it's not pagan. It's fine. It was said that the Mara could turn into animals or objects, that it would then drain people of energy or blood during the night. Mm. Fun couple of ways to protect yourself from the Mara, according to Polish folklore. You can drink coffee before you sleep, which I guess would help because you wouldn't fall asleep then. That's true. It's also a thing like, do all adults just lose caffeine tolerance because the number of people who have after dinner coffees and then like theoretically fall asleep three hours later, I'm just like, what are you doing? I mean, usually they drink decaf, right? I know there's still a little bit of caffeine in decaf, but like typically if you're having like an after dinner drink, I feel like it's a like just a beverage to go with your dessert and it's usually decaf. I don't know. I Maybe I'm just like reading a lot of Victorian novels. It's like the dinner of bread, cheese, and strong coffee. And I'm like, what? what's happening? <laughs> maybe, I guess. Maybe that was a Victorian thing and they just weren't making like as caffeinated coffee. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, drink that coffee before you sleep. Nomara, you could sleep with a form of leather like a belt. You can smear feces on your door, which seems... Maybe. Or you can leave a bundle of hay in your bed and then sleep in another room. <laughs> Which is my personal favorite. These are real like Home Alone levels of tricking the spirit. Yeah, it's very like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Home Alone. We're, we're really going hard for these. Yeah. Along with usually draining people of energy or blood, the mare or the Mara would bring nightmares or bad dreams, which makes sense since like nightmares or having a restless night of sleep would most likely make you feel exhausted or like you have no energy in the morning. Like makes sense. Quite true. I also want to end this discussion about the mare by sending you uh, the picture of the mare that which typically comes up like if you google it because it is a buck while painting titled the nightmare by henry fusili from 1781 and i just need to hear your reaction to this painting one second okay i'm ready uh. <laughs> so i had seen this painting before oh geez and i guess i had never looked closely at it because <laughs> i'd never seen the horse until this moment yeah no you got a you got a horse with really scared eyes down by this reposed person on a divan really like artfully laden scarves got a cute little bracelet there it's a nice dress i'd wear that dress mm -hmm. then just a a real a real demon looking fella squatting on their chest he looks like a gremlin yeah it actually looks pretty sweet I do enjoy the shadow of his horns in yes. the center uh, quadrant of the painting. I think they're ears, but yeah, I, oh God, yeah. it's just the horse. The horse is throwing me for a loop because the horse just has these dead white eyes. Yeah. And its little mane is like standing up on end. I don't know what's happening with that horse. Its mane is like mirroring the hair of the demon creature, which is funny. But both the demon and the horse, I mean, they look alike. Like both of their eyes, like the horse's eyes got nothing in there. And then the demon's eyes are like, what What are you doing? I'm I, I'm busy. And it's a very cute little nose. Maybe the horse is, I have to assume the horse is also a mare just in the form of a horse who like yeah. showed up to also give this woman nightmares or drain her of energy and found his friend here be like, come on, Dave, <laughs> it was my turn. <laughs> the horse does have kind of a little smile. He does. I think, right? It's it's very cute. Yes. So I will, I will link a photo of that in the show notes so that everyone can see this horse. That'll be on our Instagram. And, uh, and for patrons too, it'll be the image in your, um, in your director's commentary. Great. 
Excellent. So the next I want to talk about is one that I like, I think I kind of knew that it had folkloric origins, but I never really thought about it until researching this episode. And that's the Sandman. Oh, of course. Which I guess I really only think about the song when I hear the Sandman. But he was a folkloric figure that goes back to before the 1954 version of the song. So typically the Sandman was a feature of children's stories and was said to put people to sleep and give them beautiful dreams by sprinkling his magic sand in their eyes. This was a a European, mostly Scandinavian, some Germanic bleed over story. So you know how like when you wake up and there's like that little bit of grit in the corner of your eyes some mornings? Totally. That was supposed to be proof that the Sandman had come and worked his magic on you in the night before with that little remaining sand in your eyes. (laughs) It really does seem like sand. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And he's like mostly benevolent, but also there was an author named E.T.A. Hoffman who wrote a more sinister version of the Sandman in 1816, where the Sandman would throw sand in the eyes of children who wouldn't go to sleep. And then that would cause their eyes to fall out of their heads. And the Sandman would collect those eyes and take them to the moon where he had a nest full of eyes. And then he would feed some of those eyes to his children. Oh, wow. That's a real, that feels like a dream. Yeah. What just happened to me as you described that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It seems like a lot. It seems like a tale invented by somebody who does not have children because you would not, in fact, make it better if your kid doesn't want to go to bed and then you get into that whole thing. Best case scenario, they'd just be lying in their bed, terrified to move. And then I guess the adults can like go on with their night. Yeah, I think that's kind of the point of these stories where it's like, if you don't stay in your bed, the Sandman is going to come and get you. I feel like that's always the like kind of boogeyman version of all of these stories. It's like, if you don't behave, something's going to take you away. <laughs> this more sinister version might be associated with a Romanian folklore character, which is N.A. the Elder, who would throw sand in the eyes of children who would not go to sleep to blind them and then capture those children in a bag that he carried. Romania doesn't fuck around. Romania doesn't fuck around. This is the like Sandman version of Krampus. <laughs> yes, it really is. Also, before people at me, yes, I know about the Neil Gaiman Sandman comic. I know it exists. I have not read it. No. Yes, I will probably read it soon. You do not need to recommend it to me. I promise plenty of people have. I feel like that that's a real like being a woman on the internet moment is like, trust me, at some point somebody has recommended every Neil Gaiman text to us. Don't worry. Yes, I know all about Neil Gaiman's works. I know everything that he has done. I just have not read all of them. It's 72 comics. I haven't gotten to it. I know there are compendiums. (laughs) I haven't gotten to it. So finally, I want to talk about dream catchers, which I think a lot of people at least our age know about them because of just like cultural appropriation and people our age like kind of grew up in the height of the like everyone has probably had someone buy them a dream catcher at some point. Yeah, from like an Urban Outfitters or some shit. Yeah, unfortunately. But for a really long time, I didn't know the actual story and the reason behind the dream catcher. So I found a great resource from We Are Native, which is a comprehensive health resource for Native youth by Native youth to provide content and stories about the topics that matter most to them. So that's from their website. I will make sure to link the website and the story in the show notes because it seems like a really great resource from just looking around their website for a while. But this is where I found the Ojibwe story of the spider woman. So this is the story directly from We Are Native. This is the way that the old Ojibwe say spider woman helped bring grandfather's son back to the people. 
To this day, Spider-Woman will build her special lodge before dawn. If you are awake at dawn, as you should be, look for her lodge and you will see how she captured the sunrise as the light sparkles on the dew which has gathered there. Spider-Woman took care of her children, the people of the land, and she continues to do so to this day. Long ago, in the ancient world of the Ojibwe nation, the clans were all located in one area called Turtle Island. When the Ojibwe nation dispersed to the four corners of North America, Spider-Woman had a difficult time making journeys to all of those baby cradle boards. So the mothers, sisters, and grandmothers weaved magical webs for the new babies using willow hoops and sinew. The shape of the circle represents how Grandfather Sun travels across the sky. The Dreamcatcher filters out the bad dreams and allows only good thoughts to enter into our minds when we sleep. A small hope in the center of the Dreamcatcher is where the good dreams come through. With the first rays of light, the bad dreams will perish. When we see Little Spider-Woman, we should not fear her, but instead respect and protect her. In honor of their origin, many Dreamcatchers have eight points where the web connects to the hoop, eight points for Spider-Woman's eight legs. Some people place a feather in the center of the Dreamcatcher to symbolize breath or air. From the cradle board, a baby can watch the air play with the feather and be happily entertained by the blowing feather. So that is from We Are Native. Uh, check out their website. This is a very cool story. I really like the idea of it being like, you know, this way of protecting the people. Totally. And if you'd like to support Native artisans, the Buy Native hashtag on social media is a really good place to find independent makers who you can buy jewelry and beadwork and moccasins and all kinds of amazing wares from. Heck yeah. So that's what I have in terms of dreams. I, I'm super interested to hear anyone's tales that we didn't cover today. Obviously, I know this wasn't comprehensive. Send us an email via our website at spiritspodcast.com and label your message dream traditions. And maybe we'll do like a little follow up to this episode. I would love that. Yeah, I'd love to hear, you know, the, the, the stories that you grew up with when you went to, you know, your caregivers or parents with a bad dream. I love that idea that it's like the most vulnerable that human beings get when we are asleep and often can't move or our senses are dulled to external stimuli. It really does feel otherworldly to be suddenly in a, you know, 3D <laughs> environment way better than anything that technology has been able to make yet. And suddenly stuff can happen in your dream that can't happen in the real world, or you're disconnected from how did I get here? Or you have that moment of realizing that the environment you're in is not reality. It's just like the trippiest, for lack of a better word, feeling that I have run into. And so I'm amazed that like as human beings, we all just like do this every night and then we go about with our daily lives. Like it's small but massively strange things about this particular lived experience that I find utterly fascinating. Yeah, I just I really love and it makes me really happy to think about the fact that we've always been thinking about why our brains do this really like odd and entertaining thing almost every night. And the fact that people have been so enraptured in the concept of dreams. So the fact that it is like featured in almost every like fictional story that we tell and plays a huge role in almost all of the media that we, you know, we create and we read and watch and listen to. Yeah. And the idea of a dream, a thing that you want to make 
make for yourself that you're chasing after that you can envision for yourself that you would you know suddenly wake up and things would be as they should be it's it's like the richest metaphor or you know symbolic device that we have available to us so julia kudos on tackling us a wide subject and teaching me some things i didn't know and i look forward to hearing what all the conspirators have to say yeah it makes me happy i'm glad I am always happy that you will listen to my very, very creepy and cool dreams, Amanda. (laughs) Anytime. And remember, everyone, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.